Hi everyone, welcome to the OA special focus recovery from relapse meeting. Today is Tuesday the 24th of May 2022. We are delighted to have a fabulous speaker here with us today. Ria is originally from New Jersey and is now living in Israel and came to OA in 2002. We are so grateful to have you here sharing your experience, strength and hope. So over to you, Ria. Thank you, Gail. Can everyone hear me? Yeah, okay, great. Hi friends, my name is Ria. I'm a compulsive reader and bulimic and Rita asked me to speak at this meeting about four hours ago. So I have no idea what I'm about to say. <laughs> so that is my disclaimer before I start talking. Um, as I said, I'm a compulsive reader and bulimic and I do believe that I've been one since I was a kid. Um, it, you know, it says in the big book, we can't answer the riddle. So I can't really tell you why I'm a compulsive overeater. And quite frankly, it's irrelevant. I just know that I am and I need to know what to do about it. So, um, um, Rita, are you in charge of showing the pictures? Okay, so I'm just going to show you what I used to look like. I don't really get into the whole body thing so much anymore. And I'll tell you why later. But basically, I started eating compulsively around eight years old. And as you can see in the pictures, um, I wasn't the type that could like, that was athletic and can burn it off. So, um, you know, by eight, nine years old, I was overweight and got increasingly obese. And if you look at the bottom left picture, um, that's me getting around my highest weight, which was around 250 pounds. So when I, I don't know what that is in stone because I'm an ignorant American, but it's, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of weight. So, so basically, um, uh, thank you, Rita. When I um, I start, I went on diets from the time I was ten, trying to control this thing, and clearly it didn't work because. And I I have nothing against commercial diets for the people who gain those like, pleasant fifteen pounds over the holidays. Like you go, you count your points or whatever, and then you go on with your life. But I'm the kind of person who, when I introduce certain substances into my body, I lose all sense of, I lose the ability to choose. So that's why diets don't work for me. Um, when I was 16, I started binging and purging as my plan B and it worked for a while until there was an intervention and I was not allowed to do that anymore. And I got really mad because I felt like I had, I was sort of, um, climbing a mountain and the rocks were crumbling under my fingers. And I felt like, okay, at least like if I'm binging and purging, I have a hook in this thing. It didn't work. And, um, I didn't understand. I always knew that I ate differently from other people. I knew I did weird things with food. I knew I thought about food all the time. It wasn't like this big revelation for me, but I didn't realize that I wasn't the one, like that it wasn't my job to do anything about it. I, I was on this quest to find the thing that was gonna make it work, whether it was the right exercise plan or the diet plan or the this or the that or this food or the, you know, all the things. I did all the things, okay? Like you, you did the things too. I don't need to tell you what they are. You know what they are. Um, and uh, basically when I was about, when I was 14, I went to, and I've told the story before, so if you've heard it, you can't stop me because you're on mute. Um, but anyway, I, um, I went to the leading diet and fitness center in the United States um, where they gave you like lectures on caloric intake versus metabolic output, you know, basically eat less and exercise more and you'll lose weight. And it's, I was like 14, I'm like, duh, you know, you don't need a you don't need a PhD in nutrition to know that. But I raised my hand and I said, listen, I, I get what you're saying, but what if there's something in the kitchen that's talking to me from up from downstairs and I can't not eat it? And the person giving the lecture looked at me and was just like, 
just don't eat it. And I was like, no, no, that's not the answer to the question that I just gave you. That was actually a multiple choice question in, you know, eat it now, eat it later, eat half and hide the rest, eat the whole thing and purge. Like don't eat it is not one of the answers to that question. So I knew I was in trouble. Um, and then, so, you know, I also got into other substances um, because I enjoyed them and I could never use them normally, but food was always my first love. Um, and I was obsessed with my weight. I was convinced that um, if I lost weight, then my life would turn into a romantic comedy and the credits would roll and everything would be perfect. This was the pervasive lie that I, I lived with for most of my life. And so um, because I was so far from that, I didn't even feel like I was worthy to even try to have relationships. And so I basically hid out and I ate and I smoked pot compulsively and drank and just sort of stewed in my own misery, like, like you know, just sort of waiting to get, to scrounge up the courage to, to kill myself, but I was too chicken. Anyway, I was about 19 years old and I don't remember how I heard about Overeaters Anonymous. I only know that I called my mother who was my codependent diet pal. And I said, I heard about this group of fat people who get together and talk about food. So can you go to one of their meetings and call me back and tell me what they said? Because I was writing a screenplay about the diet industry at the time. So I figured like I could get some good inside information. So she went to a meeting and she called me back afterward. And she was like, you know, maybe you want to go to one of those meetings. And I was so offended, <laughs> like, like me, as I'm sitting there, like, you know, um, what's it called? Like snorting Ben and Jerry's, you know, like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Anyway, I went online and I found out that there was a meeting down the street from my dorm room happening in like an hour. Um, and I totally did not want to go. Those of you who know me know that I hate winter so much. Why in the hell I went to college in Boston? I have no idea, but that's why I live in Israel now because I don't need to know what happens in winter anymore. I know what happens. It's really horrible. Anyway, so it was really cold that day and I didn't want to leave my dorm, but for some reason I had the willingness to pull on my pants and my boots and my jacket and my hat and walk up the street to this meeting. And I looked in the window and there were probably, I don't know, a dozen, 15 people there and maybe two of them were actually fat. So I figured the other two were like spies or something, but I... Um, I decided, okay, so some, I went into the meeting and I had no idea what was going on, like no clue. These people were talking about like, it, it was around Valentine's Day. So they were talking about their feelings around Valentine's Day and like, you know, things that were coming up for them. And I'm like, where, where's the scale? Like, who's, when are you guys gonna weigh me? Like, when are you gonna make me buy like a week's worth of food for $400? Like, when, when is that happening? And nobody said anything about that. There were these, there were these posters on the wall with 12 steps. And I was, I'm sure I saw the word God on there, but I quickly was like, nope. Um, so I just kind of sat in that meeting, totally confused until somebody next to me introduced themselves and said, hi, my name is so-and-so and I'm a compulsive overeater. I had never heard those words before in my life. But as soon as I heard them, I was like, ding, 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 ding. Like, that's me. I am a compulsive overeater. I don't know what that is, but that's me. And if there's a name for this thing, that means it's an actual thing. And I'm not the only one who has it. Cause I was convinced that I was like this closet freak who like, you know, lived under the, the stairs and like, you know, 
snuck out and stole food like a crazy person, but apparently I'm not the only one. So hooray for me. Anyway, so I started, I didn't really know what they were talking about, but I knew that like, if I said to these people, hey, if there's something downstairs that's talking to me and I can't not eat it, they would understand what I was talking about. So I kept coming to meetings for about two years. And here's the thing about OA, once you're in, it's sort of like the mafia in that once you're in, you really can't get out. It like takes the fun out of eating from then on. Like even whether you're absent or you're not, like once you come to your meetings, like the jig is up guys, sorry, game over. <laughs> so you can go out, but it will not be fun anymore. Um, and so for the first two years, I kind of like, I was like peripherally in recovery. I would go to meetings and talk about nothing. And then when people would suggest things to me, I would ignore them. I got a sponsor and she asked me if to send her my food every day. And I was like, that is the weirdest thing anyone has ever asked me to do. It was like, she asked me to show her my underwear or something. I was like, get the hell out of here. I'm not telling you what I'm eating today. Um, so basically I didn't do anything. So I got no results. And um, I moved out of Boston and I was doing the things that I had actually been dreaming of doing. I worked at Disney and I worked at Universal Studios and I was doing the things I wanted to do, but I was calling out sick all the time because I needed to stay home and binge and purge. I was not functional. Um, and so after I, um, after I graduated college, I moved home to my parents' basement where I rotted for a while. And then, um, but I kept going to meetings. I never stopped. I don't know why. I just, I was like, well, I got, you know, it's like sit here and contemplate suicide or go to a meeting. All right. So I guess I'll, you know, I got nothing else to do. So I, um, after two years, one night, I'd, a few things happened around that time that really sort of showed me that this is like, this is how your life is going to go if you keep on. Like nothing's going to change. This is how it's going to be. And around that time, I was 19. So I, I was on like some dating site and, you know, um, talking to people. Um, actually, I was a little older. I was like 21. And I remember meeting someone online and we chatted and there was, it was a very nice connection, whatever. And after, you know, a few conversations, he said, what do you look like? So that's like the $64,000 question, right? So for some reason, I told him the truth. I was like, well, I'm fat, but I, um, I'm in this program called Overeaters Anonymous and I, I'm going to lose the weight. And I never heard from him again. And for some, that experience, for some reason, it was like, I had lived with shame my whole life. It was almost like I had this like bottle of shame, you know, and all the experiences, all the bullying, all the comments, all the, you would be so beautiful if you lost weights, like all the things that I had heard my whole life, like that thing that happened was sort of the thing that topped off the bottle. And I, there was no room for any more. And after that, I was willing to do something different, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what happened to me, but it really, it shook me up. So I went to a meeting that night where people were talking, people had what I wanted, um, which at the time was, was a thin body and a life that occurred outside of my parents' basement. So there were women there who had, who were maintaining 200 plus pound weight losses and, you know, had families. And it was like this thought crossed my mind, like maybe if I do what they do, I'll have what they have. It's, it's fairly obvious, like A plus B equals C, but I guess I just couldn't see it until I could see it. And so that was the night I got abstinent. That was March 24th, 2000, no, March 29th, 2004. So um, that was when I got abstinent and I, um, I started working a food plan, to, which was the centerpiece of my program. 
because um, I found that OA at that time was focused like pretty heavily on food plans um, across the board, at least where I was from. Um, and I wasn't really interested in the steps because I came in to get thin. That was, that was all I really wanted because once I got thin, everything was gonna be fine. And I, live, I lived in America, where in America, if you're thin and pretty, you can do whatever you want, which is actually true. Like it was a lie I told myself in my head, but it was kind of true. Um, so I was like, whatever, I'll just get thin and that's it. And I did. I, um, on an abstinent food plan, I lost about a hundred pounds and I got down to a very small size to the point where I lost my menstrual cycle. I was bruising all the time and, but I was over the hill. I was over the moon, you know, like I looked like I had arrived, like Bill says in the, in the big book. And so now all I had to do was find myself a husband. Um, so, you know, I burned through people like, um, like cigarettes, you know, I, I didn't, here's the thing, right? Like I am a compulsive overeater, which means that I am, I don't know how to live and I create problems for myself and then I medicate them with food. So if I take the food away, I'm really just an unmedicated sociopath when you think about it, but I was passing for a normal person because I looked like a normal person. At least when I was fat, it was kind of like, well, something's up with her. But now it's like, nope, she's got a really good wardrobe. She must have it together. So I had people who were, you know, attracted to me either, you know, romantically or, or just as friends. And I had no idea how to interact with them. I just like ate them, you know, <laughs> like that's, that's what I did. So when I was done with someone, it was like, bye, you know, I didn't even consider them at all. It was, what can you do for me? And once I'm done with you, vaya con Dios, thank you. Um, and so I kept hitting the same place over and over and over and over again. So eventually I got so frustrated because I'm like, I'm thin now. This is supposed to be when it all is perfect. Why am I still angry? Why am I still fearful all the time? Why am I so rageful? Why do I hate everyone? Why am I, why am I so uncomfortable in my own skin? This is the thing I thought I always wanted. What is going on? And um, it came to me finally um, that I was still very spiritually sick. And if I wanted to get better, if I wanted to be comfortable, I was gonna need to work the 12 steps because that restless, irritable, and discontent does not go away just because I'm abstinent. That's the problem. My problem is not the fact that I was fat. It is the fact that I was restless, irritable, and discontent and medicating it compulsively with food. And when I eat certain foods, it kicks off a phenomenon of craving. So I thought my problem was the food, but the food was my solution. So if I took the solution away, I now had to find another solution because otherwise I was gonna burn my life to the ground. So I got involved with um, people who work the 12 steps directly out of the big book as it's laid out. And I began to have a spiritual experience, but then I met the man who was gonna become my husband, who is still my husband. We've been married for 15 years in a few days, um, which is a miracle in itself, let me tell you. Um, but yeah, so I was like, oh, okay, no, I'm fine now. Cause now I'm married, which means that like, I got my stamp of approval that I count and someone loves me. So it's all okay. So fast forward four years and my husband and I are two kids deep and on the brink of divorce. And I, um, that's when I realized like, I'm not, like these external things I think are markers of my wellness are illusory. 
like this is completely an inside job that had nothing to do with my body size, my marital status, my wealth or lack thereof. It didn't matter. None of it mattered. I had to get to the steps. And so um, I went back and did the steps again, um, again, as outlined in the big book. And this time I was really fearless and thorough when I finished. And after I did my fifth step, I went home and did my sixth and seven. And as I sat and did my seventh, um, I had this experience. I had this experience. I can't fully articulate. I've tried, but basically I knew God's presence was in that room the same way I know that you're on the other side of that screen right now. I just knew. It was this sense of all being good and well forever. And no matter what was going on, things that I thought were bad or tragic or whatever, they were all part of this process of infinite goodness. That's really the best way I can explain it. But I was taken, I was in the world, but seeing it through a spiritual lens, seeing it for the truth, which is that God is there and is taking care of everything. So I certainly am not living in that experience. I, I'm not floating around in spiritual bliss all the time, but I can't unhave that experience. I know that it happened. I know that it's real and I can't unhave it. So I, I know, I just know that. It's an experience that I had and I can't undo it. Um, it might play out differently for other people, but that's my experience and I know that that's what it is. So anyway, moving on. Um, so I now had my spiritual experience. I had my, I had my husband, I had everything. But what I didn't have was the teeny weeny body that I had gotten to when I was, when I had lost weight the first time, when I was 22 and I sneezed and dropped hundred pounds. Now I was eating, you know, abstinently and normally, but I had given birth three times and, you know, past the age of 30 when, you know, you have to work really hard to maintain a teeny weeny body when you're past 30. And quite frankly, I don't have the energy nor the willingness. I'm not that ambitious. So I, um, so my weight settled at a number that I was not happy with. And I was still on that quest to get back down to that small size. Because to me, even though I had the spiritual experience, I still didn't let go of that lie that like, I'm not there yet unless I wear this size pants or weigh this amount. And um, it eventually got me into big trouble because um, back in 2019, yeah, back in 2019, I was shopping for my sister-in-law's wedding and I got so obsessed with the body stuff that it, it started me on a downward spiral, coupled with the fact that I went through a very serious trauma and I didn't like that God did that to me. So between self-pity and resentment and body obsession, I was not doing very well. And this is all while abstinent. And then um, I had a sponsee who, who I had taken through the steps and she came back to me and she said, I'm thinking about trying intuitive eating. So for those of you who don't know what intuitive eating is, it's a movement where people recover from eating disorders by listening to their bodies and letting that guide them toward whatever they want, they wish to eat, what their body wants to eat. Now, I actually happen to think it's a wonderful idea um, for people who don't have what I have, just like commercial diets. I think it's a great movement for people who just have a, an, a, an uncomfortable relationship with food, who need to make peace with around food and, and their body 
I, I fully endorse it. However, I am someone who is addicted to certain substances. And so I decided to try intuitive eating myself and I intuitively ate myself up 30 pounds in four months and became, and I saw the old obsession come back so fast. Now I'm lucky in that I had a lot of recovery behind me. So I didn't have to go as far down as I could have gone. Cause I've been to some dark places, you know, when I, right before I got abstinent in 2004, I, you know, binged, I went to the uh, convenience store across the street for me after I'd called into work and binged and purged and promised myself that I would never do it again. Cause I was so sick. And then 10 minutes later, got up and went back to the convenience store. You know, I didn't have to do that this time. However, I did notice my son talking to one of my sons talking to me one night and I wasn't listening to him because I was thinking about what I was going to eat when that conversation was over. And I went to um, a new year's party where I ate an ice cream cake with a spoon. And I don't mean a slice of ice cream cake. I mean the cake. <laughs> okay. Like, and my husband said to me at the time, you know, I'm not sure that's intuitive eating. And I was like, well, I'm not sure I want to be married to you. Um, but, but we stayed married. So it's okay. Um, Rita, do you mind showing some pictures? So I'll show you, I'll show you my head. Okay. So if you look on the left, that's me. I don't know. I've in like the one twenties, low one thirties at my wedding. Okay. I stayed there for about 15 minutes. Um, not because I was compulsively eating, but because my body needed to go where it needed to go. So now if you move over to the right, this is me now. This is me living in Israel, you know, at, at and I was listening to the definition of abstinence, you know, maintain, um, striving toward or maintaining a healthy body weight. I'm in a healthy body weight today. I actually don't know what it is because I haven't weighed myself in a very long time, but I exercise and I'm abstinent. So the number on the scale is really none of my business. I'm much bigger than I was at my wedding, but quite frankly, most 90% of the time, I don't give a shit. That's the truth. Um, because I don't have the luxury of caring about that anymore. I've done it for too long and it almost killed me. Um, and if you look at the bottom, that's me with my family. Um, I naturally <laughs> took my son and hid myself behind him, um, but it's okay. I'm still learning you know, but, uh, but I look like a normal person now. I thought I had to be the thinnest in the room, the prettiest in the room, the most, the sharpest, the funniest. Now I just look like a normal person and that's enough. Thank you, Rita. Um, so anyway, so I had this relapse and I got abstinent after that New Year's party where um, the comedian Margaret Cho talks about how when she used to go on diets, after a while she gets sick of it, come home and put on her eating dress and then like, you know, go to town. So that's what I did. That New Year's Eve, I knew I was going to a party. I put on my eating dress, and my husband and I went. And like, my husband just watched, he, my husband had only ever known me abstinent and in recovery. So he didn't know what I was capable of. So he's watching me like, what in God's name? And I'm like, oh, honey, you're an amateur. You don't know. You don't, I'm a professional eater. You don't know what I'm capable of, okay? So that was the night with the, with the ice cream cake and the spoon. And after my husband said that to me, it really got me thinking. Um, so I called my sponsor the next day and I said, I want to, I want to, you know, start over again um, with my old abstinence. And she said, of course. So that was like January 1st or 2nd of 2020. And I thank God every day 
that I only had to experiment for four months and that I got abstinent again right before COVID started because I can't even imagine having to go through that in COVID. So it's interesting. I went back and forth for a long time and my sponsor, she's amazing. I've had the same sponsor for 12 years. And I was like, I don't know, do I say I had 12 years of abstinence? I mean, um, 15 years of abstinence and then I lost it. Or do I say I have 18 years with a four month break? What do I say? And she's like, I don't think it matters. Like it doesn't really matter. So now I say I got abstinent on March 29, 2004, and I've been abstinent since then with one commercial break to see, just to, just to do a little bit of research. Um, and that's okay, because the truth is I had a sponsor while I was doing that research and I still was searching for God in recovery. I just wanted to try something else and it didn't work. And I don't need to throw out everything because I took a little detour, you know, it's, it's, I am grateful that God made it so easy for me to come back because I never left. You know, I still felt, I was still meditating every morning. I was still doing everything. I never left the program because I knew that the program was what was going to keep me alive. The food was just the food. Anyway, so that was, what is it now? 2022. So what? Yeah. Two and a half years ago already. So since then, I've really had to get real with myself about things that I wasn't looking at when I was at before my relapse. One was the investment I put in my own appearance and weight and body image and how irrelevant it really is um, and how much my weight is none of my business. Um, I can't, you know, I live in a culture that tells me that my identity is reliant upon how I look. And I just don't have the luxury of doing that anymore. I don't have the luxury of buying that story. Um, I actually got off of social media um, I'm not, you know, an anti-social media person. I just needed to do it for my own mental health because there were too many stories out there that I was believing that I, I just, you know, were killing me spiritually. Um, I also, after the trauma I went through, I had to be willing to forgive and forgiving doesn't mean that I accept unacceptable behavior or that I'm okay with what happened to me, it only means giving up hope of having had a better past. It means that it is what happened. It just is. And it's not something I have to live in and keep happening to myself over and over again. Um, and I also trust and, and know that God's, the results are not up to me. The way things play out have nothing to do with me and it's not personal even when it feels personal because everybody's acting at a mirror, you know? Someone wise said to me once, you don't have to worry about what people think about you because they're not thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves. So, you know, anything that somebody does to me is really a response to their own fear and their own delusion and their own, even good intentions, you know? They're all seeing things through their own perspective and it just might not be the same reality as mine. Um, that really sucks sometimes. And I'll be honest, I've told, and in my old age, I turned 40 this year, I've turned into a total bitter, crabby misanthrope, but um, I'm a non-judgmental crabby misanthrope. <laughs> um, no, I, I try not to be, or at least I, if I am, I'm aware of it and I can call myself on it. Um, and I think also what's different coming back from that relapse is that 
I know anything that gets in the way of my recovery has to go. I'm ruthless about things. You know, I, I know that I have to pray and meditate and do my two-way prayer and get on the yoga mat every day. It's, and anything else that gets in the way with that and way of that, it can't stay. A few weeks ago, my, my son, he'd been begging for a dog for his birthday. So we brought a dog home for a one week trial. And within 24 hours, my son was like, nope. So um, I was like, oh, okay, well, I like the dog. So maybe I'll keep him. And my stress level was so high with the dog that I was like, he's adorable, but you got to go. Um, because I have to, I can't, if I can't have my morning routine, if I can't focus on where I need to be of service, then I have to be ruthless. It's that simple. Um, I think also part of the reason that I lost my abstinence the first time was that my plate was too full. You know, I have five kids. I had, at the time I was working full-time in an office without flexibility and running, running, running all the time. And I could barely take care of myself. Now I am ruthless about my career choices. I became, I, I went back to working freelance. If it means I make less, sometimes I make less money, sometimes I make more money and I'm willing to deal with the instability because I need the flexibility to get on meetings, to be of service and to have that connection point. I'm not the type of person, there, there are people who can do that, who can just get up and go and do it all, all the time. I'm just not one of them and that's totally okay. Um, I will also say that I had to get real about religion versus spirituality. I'm an Orthodox Jew and I thought that I had to earn my way into the club by dressing and acting a certain way. But when I did that, my insides and my outsides didn't match and it was very painful for me. And so I had to let go of all the things I thought I should be doing and instead get back to basics with my relationship with God because that's where it all starts. The, it's directly correlated to that restless, irritable, and discontent. The reason I'm restless, irritable, and discontent is because I'm relying on myself to run my life. But if I'm relying on God, it just goes away. And that the need for food goes away. Um, and the last thing is that um, I have been able to not know all the things and, and be in control of everything in the same way I used to be. Last year, last summer, we moved to Israel from America. And it's, it's very humbling to be an immigrant. Um, I have the language, but not fluently. And the culture is very different. And the bureaucracy is very different. And I don't know what my life is supposed to look like here. In America, I know what my life is supposed to look like. I lived there for 39 years. I know where I fit and what I do here. It's a big question mark but I don't have to know. And I don't have to rush that process. I can just sort of watch and see what God wants for me. And that's a very different way to live than how I used to live. Before I got into OA, I would sit up at night and go, okay, well, if I do this, then that will happen. But if that happens, I don't want that to happen. So I should do this first and make sure that does, you know, it's exhausting. It's totally exhausting. So um, I think I'm out of time. Am I out of time? I don't even know. I, I'm a big talker, so I don't know. You um, anyway, you thank 30. you all for listening. And, um, and yeah, I wish you all the same recovery um, that I had, but with, in a way that's best for you. Thanks.